All right, so let's really, God does have a message for us, and I want to get done in time, which I'm going to have a problem with that right now. Um, we're looking at God's Word, and He's been doing some amazing stuff. So I, I want you to know that as I read the verses to you, that God has personally challenged me. I told you last Sunday that it seems like, man, there's just been this theme that God just, it's like He wouldn't let go of me. And talking about that one topic about us maturing, stepping up, not listening to our past, stepping into the new. And, um, and I was growing um, uncomfortable in my prayer time and speaking to you. Like, God, I don't, I, I'm like, I feel like I'm riding this bicycle and, and I'm not getting off of it. And I want to make sure this isn't me trying to push something that I'm looking for, but it's you. And as I prayed through this week, it's crazy how God moves and stuff, you know, and it's just like he just brought me in another direction uh, for today in the message. But then it's so perfectly tied in, and I had no clue. It, he's, he is amazing, man. God is amazing. And so we're going to speak some things to you this morning that some of you are going to be very uncomfortable with. I want you to know that right now. I want you to understand that because we're not trying to make us uncomfortable like telling you to hug Eric or anything. I'm not trying to create an uncomfortableness. That's what I want you to know. I'm really not. I was for him because I love to tease him and I love him because he's my family. But I'm not trying to create anything in your life spiritually to make you uncomfortable for the sake of me wanting you to be uncomfortable. What I'm asking God to do is make us uncomfortable in where we're not aligning to what he says to us. And so if you're uncomfortable, please check yourself on why you're uncomfortable when you hear things that I'm going to say to you today. What's the reason I'm uncomfortable right now? What is it that's making me feel, ooh, little willy inside? Is it because I'm not living it? Is it because I've believed a lie? Is it because I'm worried about how people will think? I invited someone to church today, and he's going to say that. All right? <laughs> Listen, we're only going to talk God's word here and we want to hear what God has to say to us. And if you invite someone to this church, you already know that we're going to hear what God has to say, whether we like it or not. And we need to live it, whether we feel comfortable in it or not. And so when I read the scriptures to you, I want you to know it's going to make you uncomfortable. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Ephesians 6 says this, Children, obey your parents because you belong to the Lord. Let me pause there. Children, obey your parents because you belong to the Lord. How many of the kids of our generation, and then let's make it personal, how many of the children in this church know they belong to the Lord? Let's make it more personal. How many parents and grandparents in this room realize that the children belong to the Lord? So, ladies, I want to help you a little bit right here. I know Michaela's not here. Hopefully she listens to this, and I'll talk to her about it, because every lady with a baby, I try and tell them at some point in time, I tell you. I know there's one right over here in this section. I saw it. I hugged a little family there, but um, that little child does not belong to you. And a lot of times we just, like, totally obsess with them, and they become our life, and they dictate everything about our life, and they, they give us our order, and they dictate to us how we live. Now, there's truth in some of that, but we need to look at what God's Word says. They belong to Him. They're His. They're not ours. You're stewards. Did you ever realize that your parenting is simply another form of stewarding? Something that does not belong to you is your child. That's crazy when you think about it. So then when we see that, then it says that they belong to the Lord. Now let's just reflect. I tell every parent, I try and help them. Because one of the things I'm very grateful for for God is that I remember being an adolescent. I hated it. That was the worst time of my life. If there's ever a stage in life I don't want to go through again, it's adolescence. That sucks, man. And so when you have teenagers or those kids, I have a granddaughter now that's entering that stage and I see it all over and I'm like oh dear God help her <laughs> I mean that in a respectful way because I know what's going on there's so much confusion there's lostness who am I where do I fit in I don't feel like I'm normal I don't even know what normal is how do people see me I want them to see me like this I'm uncomfortable in this 
right? There's everything about that time in life is confusing. So parent, I want you to hear me. Grandparent, I want you to hear me. When they're little, we have this opportunity to be a parent. When they get in that 12 to 13 year old stage, you're done. (laughs) No, you should be giving them guidance, but you know this. You know this because you were one. You think your parents are stupid and they don't know nothing. Right? And it doesn't get better from 12 to like they leave the house. Hopefully by the time they're like 20-ish. Early 20-ish. Gone. Just saying. Anyway, let's leave that there for a second. So now... (laughs) So as we look at that then, I'm saying like in that time frame, they don't think you know anything or they think you knew some stuff new. But things are different and they know better. So now let's let's process that and say, you know what? These are God's kids, really. They're not mine. And I have about 11 years to put stuff in them that will add value to their life. Man, stop wasting time. We need to be serious about what we're doing with the kids. I believe that's why God's asking us to do the blessing at the blessing. Because we've, in our culture, kind of worshipped children and at the same time dismissed children. It's the crazy oxymoron that's going on. It's true. We worship them and they dictate our life and yet at the same time they're a bother to us and we've kind of put them over there. God says they belong to him. And this is what he tells us. You're a child. Everybody in this room, if you don't have kids or grandkids, it's okay. You're a child. This fits for you. Children, obey your parents because you belong to the Lord for this is the right thing to do. It's just the right thing to do. It's not like, it's like a no-brainer. Do you hear what God's word says? It's like you just should be doing this. It's a no-brainer. That doesn't mean if your parents tell you to sin, you should sin. God's the ultimate authority. He is addressing what he is talking to is the church family here. Remember that, Christian families. And he's saying this is the normal structure of things and you ought to be doing it. This is the way it ought to be happening. Okay, so we're going to go on. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with the promise. If you honor your father and mother, things will go well for you and you will have a long life on earth. All right, well... When you go back to Exodus 20, you see God giving the Ten uh, Ten Commandments and all that He says there. It's the first commandment that He gives that has any reward afterwards. He says, "I'm, I'm watching you. And if you'll do this, I'll do this for you. That's pretty amazing stuff right there. And so some of us, we were just singing in the service, Good, Good Father. Thank you worship team for selecting those great songs for us to sing together and as we do that it's like we're pretty clueless about what that means really we really are and the word of God is talking to us about something that we need to address because the family unit is so uh, blurred today in our culture that we're pretty much lost as to what that means and when you read the Bible it's very clear in what it means God's talking to a husband and a wife, a father and a mother, and children. He's talking to grandparents about their kids and their grandkids. Okay, so God's pretty clear, and I think he knows what he's talking about when he says this is what a family unit is. It's a man and a woman in a married relationship that have children. Okay? Now, our culture doesn't agree with that. I know that. And I know there's a lot of people that even come to church that are like, I'm not sure about that. Well, read your Bible. It's pretty clear. God has something to say about it. Now, I do understand that uh, there's brokenness, there's sin that's entered the world, and it's corrupted all that is good and holy, of course. But what we're looking at is what is God saying to us who are in the church? Okay, the church is very condemning of those that are in the world and the way they live. And we look at them and we condemn their lifestyle the whole while we're living in brokenness ourselves. But we perceive our brokenness to not be as bad as theirs, and therefore we project holiness on ourselves, condemnation on them. The Word of God is talking to us, church, about this relationship and what He has to say about the family unit and the home life. And so for a minute here, can we just like stop judging other people and let God speak to us about what He wants to say about this family unit 
and what he has to say to us about that structure and how it functions for me and you as God's people. So in our culture today, we have been taught some things and they've infiltrated the church and many churches will not speak or address these issues because we don't want to offend people and political correctness has compromised the gospel. And I love you enough, church, that I'm going to tell you what God's word says. And, and I understand that not everybody's going to like me. I don't, I don't mean this wrong, but I don't care if you like me. You got to love me if you want to go to heaven. I told you that when I first got here. God said so. So if you don't love me, that's your issue. I'm very lovable. Uh, anyway. <laughs> uh, yes. It's God's grace that lets you do that. So anyway. So when we're talking about that and we're talking about the family unit and what it means, see, I, I, I love you enough that I want you to be uncomfortable if you're not living what he says because I know I'm accountable to share what he says, to live what he says, and we're going to hold, you know, we're going to stand before him about it. And so our current situation is culture has influenced the church, influenced the church instead of church influencing culture. Isn't that crazy? Because we were sent into the world to make disciples of Christ, and instead the world has sent disciples into the church and has discipled the church. Seriously. That's what's happening. And, and in God's word, we see some things, and he's talking about a structure of the home. And we're, we're afraid to talk about the structure of the home because people aren't living it, and we don't want people in Compton. We have family and friends that we love, and you ought to, that don't live like the Bible says. You're not supposed to just cast them out. You're supposed to love them, but you're supposed to live the truth the same and speak the truth in love, church. Okay, so check this out. This is what's going on. I want to share some things with you that are part of what we've totally accepted as a culture because our culture in the United States of America has established certain laws understanding that we as adults are smarter than kids. Okay, so we have, you know this. Here's some of the laws that we've all embraced. You will not drive a vehicle until you're 16 years of age. You cannot drive that vehicle unless you've had instruction on how that vehicle operates and how you operate it. We put them through classes and tell them, until you pass this test, we're not setting you free. Now that you've passed that test, you're going to drive this vehicle, but you're going to drive it with a responsible adult in that vehicle with you for X amount of times before we release you. Right? Okay, now let's just retract back for a second. When I was 14, it was ridiculous that I had to wait till I was 16 to drive, so I took my brother's keys and drove his car. My brother Larry, he gave them to me. Um... When I was about eight years old, I had my mom's keys. And if you remember, like, when you were young, you know, maybe you don't, but in winter, it's cold in Michigan. I don't know if you guys don't know that. But, like, so, like, we didn't have remote starters, so you send a kid out to start the car, turn the heater on, right? So my mom's like, go start the car and turn the heater on. So my friend Terry was there. So I start the car and turn it on, and he's like, drive it. And I'm like, ah, you know, drive it. Just put it in gear. Drive it. So it's my mom's 1972 Mercury Marquis, and it's like this gigantic tank of a car, right? So as a kid, I already know. You put it in gear and push on the gas. And I'm sitting in the driveway in front of the the garage. So I don't put my foot on the brake, and in that day, the cars, you didn't have to to put it in gear. You just put it in gear. So put it in reverse, of course, because I got to back out. And when you put it in gear, you step on the gas, right? So in gear it goes, step on the gas, they're burning the tires, and I'm zooming backwards out the driveway. I know God put his foot on the brake, because I know I didn't. I was in my neighbor's yard, Mr. and Mrs. Neal. There was a street between us. Their house was over there, and they had a wood fence with a built-in pool behind it. And I stopped in the middle of their yard. And I could still remember seeing my mother running out of the house with her hands in the air screaming. It's the only thing I remember. 
I remember nothing else. I don't think because she knocked me out. I don't think she could have. She's too little. I'm just telling you, like, okay, so we're like, you can't drive, stupid. What are you doing? I never got asked to start the car again. I don't know why. Why am I telling you that? Not because I want you to know I'm dumb. It's because, see, as parents, we recognize that you don't have the ability to do that. Therefore, we don't want you to do it because not only are we risking you, you're going to risk my life. Here's what's happening. Do you remember the first time you gave the keys to your child to drive the vehicle? If you're not a praying person, you were then. You were. It was like the hardest thing in the world to be like, uh, go, oh God, help them. You know, <laughs> okay. So as we got older, let's say we're in our 30s and our 40s, we look at it 16 and say, what in the world are we giving 16-year-olds keys for? Right? We look at that and like, that's a child. They have no business with a vehicle. And we're right. But what we recognize is, is the fact that we need to teach them, structure them, show them, mentor them, and then release them. Right? Okay, then, let's keep going. Can't smoke till you're 18. Can't buy tobacco products. Show me your ID and prove it. Isn't it funny that we have no problem with asking for that? Show me your ID. I want to make sure you're at least 18 years old before you buy this nicotine. Why? Because we're dumb enough to do it, but we're trying to protect you from it. Right. <laughs> Just saying. Let's leave that alone. <clears throat> as adult, I'm able to choose if I want to kill myself or not. Uh, but as a kid, we want to protect you. So we're not going to sell you any nicotine products because we already know it's going to kill you and we want to save you from yourself and from this addiction. All right, you got to be 21 to drink. You get it? I mean, we have all these laws in place. You know what else? If you go to the movie theater and you want to see an R or above rated movie, you have to have an ID to show you're over 18. You know, every movie you watch tells you whether kids could watch it or not. You guys probably ignore those things, but parental guidance suggested PG. They're telling us that's the entry level movie today. It's saying, you know, as a parent, you probably ought to be looking at what's in this movie. Do you realize that? We don't even look at it anymore. And, and a PG movie is like a joke. Our children are watching R-rated movies all the time. But our country has established a law saying they ought not to. Just let that sink in for a minute. All right. So this isn't all about this stuff. Hear me now. You've got to stay with me because it's pretty crazy what's going on with us. We have a law that says if you have sex with someone under 18 years of age and you're old, 18 or older, you're going to prison. That's called statutory rape. It doesn't matter if that individual agreed, consented, or wanted that to happen. We recognize as adults that that child does not have the ability to understand what they're doing or the consequences of their action. Therefore, we will hold liable anyone that is 18 and older understanding that there comes a point in time you've got to own up to the responsibility of the decisions you make. I applaud that, by the way. Church. So even though we understand that, at the very same time, we are teaching our children that you're free to choose whatever sex you want to be, whatever relationship seems right to you. We don't want to infringe upon your feelings, but we're not giving you the keys to the car. You can't smoke a cigarette, but you can decide today what you want to feel like. Come on. I'm not talking to... Yeah, I mean, let's not even talk about biblical stuff here. Let's just talk about common sense. So we recognize that giving them the keys to the car is giving them a lethal weapon. Those of us that have experienced sexual relationships outside of the covenant marriage know the brokenness that it brings to us. 
Some of you have been molested. Some of you have been abused. Some of you have been raped. Some of you have been violated. You know the brokenness that it brings. Some of you have entered into relationships that you thought was okay, that messed you up. And we are silent to our children and to our grandchildren about the consequences of decisions and actions in their life. Why are we being quiet, church? Teach the children what they're supposed to do. They need to know it. Man, we don't even know what, like, see, the problem is church hasn't taught sex in the right way. I talked about this a few months ago. The fact that sex is a spiritual act. It's not just physical. But we in the church don't even realize that. Therefore, we can't even teach our kids. We're happy to sign a sex education paper so we don't have to talk about it. We want the school that is so jacked up to teach our kids about something that is so holy, spiritual, and meaningful in life that we'd rather just let the school do it and step aside and let whatever be, be. We'd rather tell them that they need to be safe instead of be pure. We'd rather step away and act like it's not happening than address the issues and let them know there's consequences for decisions. I'm talking to the church here. I'm not preaching that culture. Church, we're the people of God. If there's anyone that ought to be talking about this with our kids and grandkids, it ought to be us. And we ought to be telling them that there's consequences for behavioral change, consequences for their actions and their decisions, and their consequences will be answerable to God. It is not the child's fault. Church, it's not the kid's fault. Do you remember how stupid you were? Seriously, think about it. Remember how influenced you could be? How easy people could make you change the way you feel in a moment's time? It's the right thing to do. Just teach them the right stuff. I want every parent and grandparent in this room to understand you have rights, legal rights in this United States. In this state of Arizona, there's been bills passed. It's the Parental Rights Act. And you ought to look it up because parents, we're like clueless on what we have the rights to do. You have the right to see over your child's education. You have the right to review every book and curriculum that that school is teaching your child. If you go in there, they have to give you that material and let you see what's going on there. Church, do you realize that they can't talk about sex or any type of that education or teaching without your consent written and signed? Do you know that if you, they teach it outside of a sex education class, which has to be endorsed by the parent, but if they teach it in any other subject, they are violating the laws of Arizona and that they cannot do that without your written permission. That's the law. You have every right to oversee the medical uh, care of your child. Everything, I'm telling you, there's stuff that's going on out here that is happening, and the church is just standing here, and we as parents and grandparents are just on the sidelines hoping they turn out right. Did that work for you? We've got to get involved. Dad, you got to get involved. Dad, I want you to hear something from God's word. Ladies, you need to hear this. This is God's word. Fathers, this is the next verse, by the way, after it talks about obeying your parents, honoring your father and mother, life's good, be all right then. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. Rather, bring them up with discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. Pretty amazing to me right here that when you read this, listen, guys, you need to hear this. Ladies, you need to hear this. It doesn't say fathers and mothers hear this. It's a call out to dad. Dad. Hey, dad. Ladies, please don't call the father of your children, you know, the baby daddy and the other slang that people say in our culture. Please don't. He's the father. That's a very significant and important statement. He's your father. Okay, I know that many of our fathers are messed up and they've messed us up. Trust me, I know that. Okay, but that's not the issue we're talking about here. What we're talking about is our place. And if you're a man in this house, church, we've got to step up into the role God's called us to. There is this call of God to make our homes 
the house of God. Do you realize that God has called us his priests? That means that when we go into our homes, the dwelling place for our family unit, that we are to represent him. Be the intercessor. That's the role of a priest. Be the man of God. Be the spiritual leader of the home. And that place should be like the house of God. Do you realize, church, that when you come into God's house, there's a special presence because Jesus promised that where we assemble together as the family, he walks in his spirit among us. Revelation, if you read it, in chapter 1 at the end and the beginning of chapter 2 as he's addressing the churches, Jesus says, I'm there walking among you. That's why you feel that different presence when you come into the house of God. That's why. God's just as present out there but he gives a special promise to our assembly. Now hear this, let's transport it where God tells us that we're high priests of the home and that that should be God's house as well. Therefore, when we come into our house, there should be the same very real, holy presence of God. But instead, in so many Christian homes, there's dysfunction and brokenness and sin and the violation of everything that is holy. It's going on within the church. God has called us to be high priests and establish His law. When the kids were young, Kim and I, now we're older and the kids are adults, but when they were young, I wanted them to understand that this was not a democracy, it's a dictatorship in our home. I, that doesn't mean I ruled like, you know, Fidel Castro, where it's like the iron fist and you, he was the leader of Cuba for some of you younger people. Um, anyway, like it's not like an iron fist, like I'm the authority and you will obey me. No, it's done in love, but there's a power structure and it's from the top down and you're down, just to be clear. And therefore, you can say anything you want to. You can object to anything, but it doesn't really matter. This is the law. And if you don't want to deal with it, the door is right there and you can go out on your own. And so as long as you live under our house, you'll obey our rules. And so there was not Kim's rules and my rules. They were our rules. And we honored one another in teaching our children, this is the way it is. So we told them, when you grow up in our house, you're going to be in church every Sunday. I don't care what your friends are doing. I don't care what that job says that you do. I don't care about your athletics. I want you to understand something. God is a priority in your life. He always will be, and he must be. And therefore, you will be in church on Sundays. And if a job wants you to work on Sundays, by the way, church, this is a law. You tell them, I will not work on Sundays. They cannot make you work on Sundays. But when you do, hear me through, if you compromise and work one time, it is no longer by our laws a conviction in your life. That's why when you first start a job, it's true, man. If you've got a conviction, you've got to live it all the way through. That's why they schedule you for Sunday right away to see if you will compromise. And once you do, you're done. Just so you know, that's the law. Okay, let's keep moving so we don't get jacked up here. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, right? Fathers are expected to be involved in the upbringing of our children. It's not her job to raise the kids. Ladies... Stop thinking it's your job to raise the kids. The, the culture has told you that you don't even need a man. You can do it on your own. You're not a man. There's things you can't do for them that only a man can. Guys, there's things a lady can do that you can't do. But that's why God brought us together so that we could be whole in their life. So this isn't a matter of Dave preaching some old doctrine. This is God's, and I think he knows what he's talking about. And I want you to know that the brokenness of the family unit is nothing new. It's not like the millennials' fault. It's not. It's not Generation X's or the baby boomers. Guess what? It's Adam and Eve's fault. They sinned in the beginning, and they brought dysfunction into the home to the point where their own children, their one boy killed the other one. That's dysfunction. You know what that is? It's sin. It's brokenness. And until we become the children of God and bring healing into the home, we're going to have nothing but dysfunction. And until I accept my role as the man of God and my wife accepts her role as the woman of God and we respect God in our relationship, nothing is going to change in my home. And so nothing is going to change in the church. 
nothing's going to change in culture because you see we're the ones that influence culture when you look at the biblical prospect. The church should not be being influenced by culture. We should be influencing culture. Go and make disciples. So let's continue reading in God's word. There's this assumption God gives to us about, um, I got to get going, discipline and instruction. I don't like that clock back there. Those people in Scottsdale are in trouble, man. <laughs> Good thing about it, nobody's ever going to ask me again. Deuteronomy chapter 6. God, and Deuteronomy chapter 6 says this, And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. And you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I'm giving you today. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you're at home, when you're on the road, when you're going to bed, when you're getting up. Tie them on your hands. Wear them on your forehead as reminders. Write them on doorposts of your house and on your gates. Church, when God's talking about this, what he's trying to get across to his people is how critically important the conversation of God is in the life of your children and grandchildren. How important it is that we have those conversations. How important it is that we are instructing them in the things of God that they know He is real. That we live for Him. That my life is guided by Him. That is such a critical conversation and it is currently very absent in the Christian home. So let me ask you a few questions, rhetorical, I'm not asking for you to respond to this. Hear me through. Church, how often do you speak about God's word to your family? How often do you talk to your children, your grandchildren, and your family about the fact that God does have a plan for your life? And that plan can only come about when you surrender your life to Him. You allow the Holy Spirit to guide you and give you the direction of your life. How often have we had the conversation with our children, our grandchildren, as they're selecting a college to go to? Church, please hear me. Hey, how much have you prayed about this? Is the college that you go to going to edify what you believe in your spiritual life, or is it going to contradict this? Is this where God is leading you? Are you going there to be a light in a corrupt environment? How often have we talked to our children, our grandchildren, about salvation and what it is, how you receive it, and what it means to our life? How often have we talked to them about baptism and why we do that? The fact that we bring children up here from the children's church to be a part of the baptism service, the reason for that is to create questions and curiosity and want to know about it. So they can go home to you and say, hey, what's that all about? What is that? I want to do that. Because every kid wants to jump in that water. It gives you the opportunity to talk to them about what it means to get in that water and change their lives and what it means that God is doing. How often do we have the conversations about Jesus' death on the cross other than at Easter time? When do we have the conversation about Him raising from the dead and what that means and how He defeated sin in our life? How often do we talk about the fact that He sent the Holy Spirit and that that Holy Spirit lives in me? God lives in me. Have you ever told your kids and your grandkids, God lives in you? That the fact of the matter is the Holy Spirit's leading my life. I wouldn't be where I am without God. How often have we had the conversations, the fact that there is a day that we're going to die and we're going to give account of our life to God. There's a real heaven and a real hell. Oh, we don't want to scare them, but we're going to take them out for Halloween. Get over it, man. Come on, I'm being serious. When have we had these conversations? When are we talking about them, about the consequences of their life? Have you been honest and transparent about the dumb decisions you've made in your life? The fact that you have suffered because of the stupid things you've done. That you're trying to protect them from making the same decisions. How often have we had the conversations about church life and what it means and why do we go to church? Do we even know why? Do we know what God's Word teaches us? And how often have we had the conversation with them about the fact that they're supposed to be stewards of everything in life? The fact that I am a steward of your life and I'm trying to teach you in the things of God so that when you get older, I told my kids this when they were young, I'm doing everything I know to teach you the right way, but I know I'm screwing up somewhere, I just don't know where. 
It's your responsibility when you're older to know what that was and fix it for your kids. That's our job. Church, you see, it's like, when are we having these conversations? When have you talked to your kids or grandkids about worship at home? What have you talked to them about in prayer? And how have you led them in prayer and taught them what it means to pray? Have a prayer life with God. What have you taught them about what the Bible says and spending time in God's word and what it means to them? Have you ever purchased a item that would help them understand God's word? Have you ever given it to them and explained it to them and helped them understand that there is a life that we're called to live that God himself is calling us into that is different than the world? When is the last time you talked to them about the fact that the Bible teaches that we all have spiritual gifts and talents and we're supposed to use that for God? Church, I'm asking you, when is the last time you had a conversation with your children and grandchildren your family about the life of a believer? Think about it. God said, talk about it in the morning and at night. Repeat it to them over and over again. Oh, I don't want to cram God down their throat. I don't want to scare them or offend them. I want you to know I hated algebra. And I want it out of there. And they would not let me out. I went to the counselor and I said, I don't get it. I don't need this in my life. And I didn't. <laughs> and I don't want to be in that class. Well, we, you can't graduate without it. And you need to take it. And you know what happened? It's the craziest thing, man. They were teaching algebra, and I was so frustrated looking at this stuff. I'm like, what? Why? What? X? Eight? Like, put a freaking number on there, man. You know, I'm like, somebody do something that makes sense to me. And one day I looked at the book, and I was like, oh, that's what that means. That's what that means. That's what that means. Oh, my goodness. That's, like, so easy. What is that? And I just started doing it. And I got it. I don't ask me to do that test today because I probably would fail. But I'm telling you that as I was, was being taught this and it was there and as much as I resisted it, hated it, didn't want it, one day something clicked. Church, why in the world are we not doing this about God and our families? It's not a matter of you liking it. Nope, you're not getting out. Nope, I'm not going to pass you. This is something that's important in your life because we want to give God the chance to click give them that moment where all of a sudden all this makes sense to me now I get it God you're right it's your way see I had that experience in my life I've told you my dad you know he wasn't a good dad he really wasn't he did way better than his dad which is what I asked my kids to do I know that I didn't know that as a kid I just thought he was a jerk I didn't realize that he did so much better than his dad Here's the thing that I shared at a, uh, via video at his funeral that I really meant. Where I look back on my life and I can tell you all the dumb things he did, and he did a lot of them. I can tell you one amazing thing he did. He let me know, he let my family know, he let my grand, his grandkids know, my kids know, that you have to have Jesus. And so no matter what else didn't happen, the very most important thing in life did happen. I knew I needed Jesus. And I could not get away from that. And the reason I couldn't get away from that is because my dad and mom put that in me. They came and picked me up at my little league games. They had my brother pick me up. Seriously, you got to hear this. On Wednesday night during prayer meeting time, I was the starting, and this is not a bragging thing. I quit playing when I was little. I was an all-star second baseman, and they would pull me out of the game. Whatever inning it is, didn't matter if I was up the bat. I was going to be in church on Wednesday night at 6.30 for prayer meeting. Now, you think as a kid, I'm like, woohoo, let's go to church. I'm wearing my baseball uniform, dreaming of being in the World Series someday. And I'm getting jerked out of the game to go to church. Do you think I was, like, happy? Do you think I heard anything that was going on? You know what I learned? God's the most important thing in my life. He's above everything else. And so as sucky as it was as a kid, right now I can tell you I'm so grateful. I am so grateful for that. And it, and it goes against everything inside of any child out there, any of you, you know this. But it taught me something about who God is. And he's nobody to mess with, and he is what it's all about. So I share that with you, church, because I'm running out of time and I need to go. 
I want to ask you, when do you have spiritual conversations with your family? It's definitely something the church should support, but hear me. The church's teaching of your children and grandchildren should be affirming what you're already teaching them at home. So there's two witnesses. They're like, mom and dad say this to me. Grandparents say this to me. Now my Sunday school teacher, my discipleship person, my youth pastor is saying the exact same thing they're saying. It's an affirmation of God's truth. Therefore, it's not just my mom's or my grandparents or my dad's or my grandfather. It's God's thing because other people are saying the same thing to me. So the church should be supporting what you're already doing. You shouldn't be relying on the church to do it for you. We're not the parent. Neither is the school system. Neither is the government. Guess what? We are. And we've got to own that. God's called us to own it. The only way we're ever going to make an effect in their life is that we would begin to live that life at home. Our children know more about phones and tablets, movies and cartoon characters, if you ask one of these kids running around, how many Pokemon are there? There's over 600, right? <laughs> I'm asking any of any, does anybody know? Is there over 600 of them? More than that? How many are there? Tell me, I want to know. Over 600? Okay, so there's over 600 Pokemon, right? And, and if you ask one of these kids running around, hey, can you tell me like 10 names of Pokemon? They'll tell you, and they'll rip them off. What are the little puppies' names in the Paw Patrol or whatever? I don't care what you say. I don't care what it is. And I'm not, I'm not telling you they shouldn't know that stuff. What I am saying is, church, what do they know about God and spiritual things? What are we teaching them to instruct them to know God? We can't remove all that stuff from them. We're not supposed to remove them from the world and shelter them. You're just going to jack them up worse. You know, we're not supposed to throw them to the wolves either. What we're supposed to do is teach them what it means to live for God and what God says to us and to know how to deal with it. If we're not doing it, it's not going to happen. So I'm asking you, where's God in their life through you? Where is he? It's never too late to get things right. So I don't want you leaving here feeling con condemned. Remember, there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. So you shouldn't walk out here while well, I'm a screw-up. I jacked up everything. <laughs> Not only did I mess up my kids, but I messed up my grandkids. You know, maybe you did. Okay, but it's never too late to stop and start over. So please, as a parent or grandparent, the key to the whole thing is, is repentance. I'm sorry, I screwed up. I made a mistake. I was wrong. I, I know that I brought consequences into your life by my decisions. I want you to forgive me. When is the last time you asked your children to forgive you or your grandkids? We lead by example, man. And if we can't ask our kids to forgive us, why would they ever, ever hear about that message? Repentance, forgiveness, restoration and grace. It's a great opportunity for us to teach about that relationship and we need to step into it fully. So as a child, which everyone in this room is, you first need to forgive your parents for the mess-ups that they made, and they've made them. But you need to forgive them. You need to let that go. And you need to just forgive. Now, they may be dead and gone. It's okay. I've had people just write a note to them, say, I forgive you, put their name in there. Remember, they were stewarding you. And they may be stewarded wrong, but God didn't. God's there for you, and he's going to fill the gap. And so, God, in Jesus' name, I forgive Larry. That's my dad's name. For where he made mistakes in my life. And I forgive him. I release him. Bring healing into my life. And then, God, as a parent, I recognize, even as an adult, I've seen things. And I'm like, you know, when you get older, you see things differently. And like, I'm like, oh, I can't believe I acted like that. I can't believe I treated their mother like that. I can't believe I treated them like that. There's these things in my life, and I've had to go to them as adults and say, hey, you know, forgive me. And um, there's healing in that. I'm speaking to you as I speak to myself, and I realize that, church, we are broken, and God's the healer, and he wants to bring healing into the family unit, the home. And he really does want to dwell in your house just like he does here at church. 
He doesn't want to just come with you places. He wants to be with you. He wants to influence that place. So here's some thoughts that you might have as you're going to do this. Not only is it time for us to have spiritual conversations, but ladies and gentlemen, if we begin to treat our home like we would church, I mean, you need to hear me. Um, none of us would probably turn on some of the movies we watch right here on that screen in this environment and say, hey, check this out. This is funny. Right? We wouldn't open up our phone and stand up here in front of everybody and hold it up and say, oh, these are the sites I visit regularly. And so if we can't do that here, why in the world are we doing it at home? Why are we letting that stuff in our life when there's no way we would ever do that here? Right? It's the sanctuary of God. And so until the church heals its own dysfunction, there's no help for us to help the dysfunction of culture. But when we fully embrace God's place for us and we begin to understand the institution of the family unit, the presence of God in that, the subject that he is in our lives, and we begin to live that, then we in turn will begin to influence culture. But we will do it not because we're telling them what to do, but we are living that life and they will want it. There's a huge difference. We're not going to mandate culture change. We're going to live change. And by living change, they're going to see it and want what we have. Because God's the one that brings healing and hope in a relationship. When I tell people that Kim and I have been married 36 years, their first response is, wow, congratulations. That's nuts. Do you understand? Do you realize what that's saying about the dysfunction of our culture? They're like surprised and shocked probably that she could live with me that long I don't know <laughs> but the fact that there's 36 years of marriage is so uncommon it's because of the dysfunction of our lives and us not fully embracing the spirit of God and everything that he is church it's all about him He's the one that brings healing into our lives. And when we live to please Almighty God and do things according to His will, and when I do that and my wife does that, healing and wholeness comes. It comes through forgiveness and grace and love from the Father. That's where it comes from. That's where our marriage works. It's not because I'm a great husband or she's a great wife. It's because God makes it work. It would never work otherwise. It couldn't work otherwise. We would have long been part of history and the brokenness of everyone else. We're only here to gather today because of God. That's the only reason. And I want you to know the future that you have and for your kids. We all want better lives for our children. But you know what we do? We think a better life is a better education and more stuff. What in the world is that all about? I'm talking about Christian people. And we think that's the answer. Haven't we come to the place where we realize none of that stuff answers our need? Doesn't heal our brokenness? Only Jesus does. So where does that conversation and influence happen? Where we're letting him know beyond any education and financial well-being you may have in your life, it's all about him. I'm done. Deuteronomy 6. <laughs> you and your children your grandchildren must fear the Lord your God as long as you live. If you obey all his decrees and commands, you will enjoy a long life. I want them to enjoy a long life. I want to enjoy a long life. It's done by your submission, forgiveness, repentance, walking with God, and only in that relationship it comes. I want you to know repentance starts with us. And so if you need to repent today for the brokenness of your life, the screw-ups that you've had, the influence in a bad way you've had on your kids, your grandkids, today would be a great day to do that. Why not just repent and get over it? The Word of God says this in 2 Corinthians 5. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. The new has come. Amen? Thank you for coming forward. I mean, it's just, it's just here, man. We, we're broken. We messed up. We need you, Lord. There's generational curses that are on our families. It's real. God's Word says for the third and fourth generation, some of this stuff happened. I shared in the other services that between Kim and I, we have as much brokenness and dysfunction in our history that will just jack up anybody, will hijack any family. 
And I want to stand in the gap and be the one that stops and intercedes and stops that brokenness from flowing forward into my children and grandchildren. I want to repent of that brokenness. My grandfather, great-grandfather owned a brothel, which disrespects women. It's all about perversion. There's addiction all over our families. There's incest. There's rape. There's con men. There's just every kind of sin and brokenness exists in my family and my wife's. I am not going to let that crap come forward and destroy my kids. Man, I am here to stand and say in the name of Jesus, that stuff ends with me. No more of that stuff will pass this generation. I will stand in the gap for my kids. I will plead the blood of Christ over them. I will renounce that sin, and I will not allow that to influence the next generation that is under my care. Leadership. No, Dad, you need to step up and stop that garbage and don't let it go past you. Mom, we've got to do this together. Families, we need to step into the gap and end this junk. And if we will do it and stand in the gap, you know what God says? I will bless you through a thousand generations. <laughs> God, we are here today as a broken people. Please forgive your church for its brokenness, for its dysfunction and its lack of teaching and the truth of who you are. Forgive our silence, Lord, on the issues that happen today and that we're just accepting of when we need to stand in the gap and not let it happen. God, forgive us. It's not our kids' fault they're being deceived. We need to teach them what you are and who you are and what it means. God, today, we ask you to forgive us for our brokenness and the influence that we have had upon our children and our grandchildren, our spouses, our ex-spouses, our distanced children. God, forgive us for that destruction and damage that we have brought about in their lives. Bring healing, God, and wholeness. God, in the name of Jesus, I pray for relationships today that they would be healed, mended, and made right in Jesus' name. I pray for wholeness in the hearts of people that are going through that brokenness right now. <laughs> Father, in Jesus' name, we're here with you. Speak healing and blessing over the people in this room, people that are watching online. We speak blessing. We speak healing, wholeness. You are the answer. You are our hope, God. We sang that to you in the service. Jesus, you're our living hope. You're it. Bring healing, God. Pray this in the name of Jesus.